Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Anyway, if you, have a, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your mobile phone, please turn with me to Romans chapter 11. And if you're not so familiar with the Bible itself, um, the book of Romans is actually in the New Testament. And it is the book um, right after Acts. In fact, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then uh, Romans. And so Romans chapter 11, we're going to be uh, reading in verse 32, and it reads, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I don't know if you guys, but have you ever heard the expression that a, a duck's quack won't echo? Have you heard that before? Yeah. How about the, uh, how, how about the, uh, the fact that like a daddy long-legged spider, I don't know if you've heard this before, but a daddy long-legged spider actually has, it's venomous, is, venom is worse than a black widow's, but it has a mouth that's built in such a way that it can't bite you. Have you heard that before? Okay, we've heard that, yeah. Or how, how about, the, you know, we've heard that like, lightning never strikes in the same place twice. Or, 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 or how about, you know, the fact that Christopher Columbus believed that the world was round when most of the people around him believed that the world is flat. Well, I think we've all heard these things before. And the question I have for you is, what do these things have in common? I mean, what's the connection between these random facts? Well, what they have in common is these things are, are facts that most people believe to be true that are actually false. See, um, this may come to surprise to you, but all of these things are false. Uh, a duck's quack does echo. It's just harder to hear than, than a normal echo, all right? And a daddy long-legged spider can bite you, but his venom isn't actually uh, any more po- is, is actually less potent than, than a black widow. That's why when he does bite you, you never notice that it happens, right? Um, and, and, and lightning does strike twice in the same place. In fact, it strikes multiple times in the same place. It, it strikes the, the, the Empire State Building a hundred times every year. And just about everybody at the time of Columbus knew that the world was round, that it, that it was just common knowledge, all right? This was something that, um, that everybody knew, right? Um, and so everyone in his time knew that the world was round. And, and, and this, these are the actual facts. But nevertheless, even though that's the facts, um, yeah, in spite of that, the majority of people still believe and still teach this false information, right? And, and, and these are just a couple of, of examples. These are not isolated incidents either. I mean, there's a lot more uh, to, there's actually, this is more common than you think. I mean, the fact is that there's a lot of historical facts that, that we believe to be true that aren't true. For instance, how many of you have heard that Napoleon Bonaparte was short, right? That is actually not the facts, I mean, we were taught that in school is what we believed, but Napoleon Bonaparte was actually five foot seven, right? Which is actually, he was above average height for a person in France. He wasn't short at all. The problem came in is that the, the, the English inch and the French inch were different. And so once, you, once they converted one to the next, it appeared as though that he was short, but he wasn't short. How many of you heard about the, the story about Einstein failing a mathematics test? Right? I mean, it's a very common story people tell to motivate people who fail at things, right? Well, the problem is it's not even true. Einstein was, was excellent at mathematics. He never failed a mathematics test, not one time. Now, he did fail an entrance exam to, um, to uh, a university, 
right? But he took it late, he retook it and then passed it, but he never failed at math. But for some reason, the story gets perpetuated, you know, to motivate people, but it's not true, right? What about scientific facts, okay? I mean, there's scientific facts that, that we believe that, that commonly are wrong. Like, for instance, we've all heard that the person's hair and fingernails grow after they die. We've, it's just something that, that people kind of like assume is to be true, right? But the reality is, is it, it's not true. Um, what happens is a person's skin dries up and it appears as though that the hair and the skin is actually growing, and what about the fact, have you ever heard the, this, that, that you can see the, the Great Wall of China from space, right? That's one of the ones I heard ever since I was a kid, right? Well, the, the actual, the truth is you can't, all right? It's not, I mean, it's long enough, but it's not, it, it's not wide enough. It's not true that you can't see it from space. Or how about this? This is one scared me to death when I was a kid, that you shouldn't swallow chewing gum, right? Because if you do, it'll stay in your system undigested for like seven years, Right? Well, that's actually false. It's not true. Actually, your body will process, you know, and move along the undigested part in about 24 hours like it does everything else. There are lots and lots of things that we've heard before that we believe that are just simply not true, right? Bulls don't charge because they see red. Bulls are colorblind, right? You don't swallow eight spiders a year in your sleep. That's an urban legend, okay? Science has also proven that you use more than 10% of your brain, okay? Most people think you only use 10%, but it's actually scientifically false. And you know, if you throw a penny from the Empire State Building, it will not kill someone. It will never de- develop enough momentum to do that, all right? And the list goes on and on and on, the things that we've been taught and the things that we believe that are simply not true. They're just plain false, right? And to make this even worse, we live in an age of abundant but unfiltered information, And you would think that this would be the solution to the problem, but it's not. We have a limitless supply of information coming at us from all directions and multiple sources, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but it doesn't fix the fact that there's a lot of things that we believe that are just simply untrue. Okay? I mean, now understand, I believe that having access to to, to this information is a good thing. Uh, because information, you know, when it's properly used, will allow you to make solid, informed decisions and it'll help you make good choices for your life. And it can also help you to navigate and find the truth. But, but when you have an unlimited supply of information like this, um, combined with all the misinformation that's available, you have to have a way to filter and corroborate the information. You have to have a way to categorize it and, and, and find the sources and then be able to validate the information. Okay, the problem is that there's so much out there and it's coming at us so fast that many people just are not willing to do the work to stop and check the facts for themselves. And do you know how I know that this is true? Okay, I know this because almost everyone I know at one point or another has spread false information on the internet without even taking the time to make sure that it's true. For instance, how many of you have seen this picture before floating around on social media? Okay. The caption says, never, let's never forget our wounded female veterans. And the bottom of it, it says, respect, okay? And, and so this is supposed to be a picture of female soldiers who were wounded in combat and lost a limb, okay? This picture has been shared over and over again, millions of times. And, and it's, been show, it's been shared by people I personally know, intelligent people, okay? But the problem with this picture is, is that, that, these women are not American soldiers. In fact, they're not American, and they are not even soldiers. 
These ladies are Brazilian female amputees who have just agreed to be a part of a project to help raise money for impoverished amputees to get the prosthetic limbs that they need. Okay, this picture actually is a hoax. It's a misrepresentation of the truth, but it gets shared on the internet even still today without the slightest thought that this might not be true. And it happens all the time. Like this picture right here, okay? It says, sadly, there's less than 2% of you We'll, we'll like and share, you know, this picture of brave Vietnam soldiers, right? And, and yeah, that's exactly right. This picture, you know, but this picture has been shared by people I know, smart, intelligent people, but, but this is not, these are not Vietnam veterans. These, these are, these, this is the cast of the movie Tropic Thunder, okay? Ah, it's, it's, it's a movie promo. In fact, the guy there in the middle, that's Ben Stiller, all right? Remember something about Mary? That's him, Okay. All right, and the guy on the end, the chubby guy on the end, that's Jack Black, you know, Kung Fu Panda. That's him, all right? Now, the one guy you don't recognize is the one standing between them. That's Robert Downey Jr. They made him up to look like a black guy, all right? Yeah. All right. This picture right here is of the actors of this particular movie, all right? And it gets millions of shares as if it's a picture of, of Vietnam veterans, all right? But how, but how about this one? How about this picture? All right. It says, I bet you won't share this, this because you're too embarrassed to have Jesus on your wall. Well, I just love it when people try to give me a guilt trip online. You know, I mean, they're, they're always trying to get me to do something. But, but, but the problem here is this ain't Jesus. Okay. This is Ewan McGregor. He's Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. All right. All right. And so, so people have shared this on Facebook, you know, that I personally know people in our community, people who are Christians, Right? And there are people I've known that actually taken this picture and printed it and have it like framed in a wall at home. And I'm like, you know, that's not Jesus, right? I mean, blessed is he who the force is with, I guess. I mean, and this is just a tiny, tiny example of the things that are posted online that are untrue, that many people uncritically believe these things. And, and they, they just see it and, and they believe it without actually examining the source of the facts, okay? So there's lots of things that we believe that are untrue. And, and, and it's actually more than just that, right? Because not only do we believe things that are untrue about history and science and the internet, we are heavily influenced by our culture's perspective of what truth is. We are influenced by what culture says about truth itself, Okay? But, but the problem is that our culture believes uh, what it believes to be true isn't always what the truth is because our culture you know, it, it is by default, right? Our, tr- our, our, our culture by default doesn't always identify with what, what objective truth is. The problem is that our culture, what it believes to be true, isn't always true. That, that there's a philosophy that, that our culture has embraced called postmodernism. And we've actually taken some time and we've talked about this before, but postmodernism is the philosophy that there's no real objective standard for truth. It just assumes that the truth itself is relative, all right? That's what it means that, 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 that um, you know, for, for truth to be relative is that what is true for you might not be true for me, all right? What you believe to be true is true for you, that, that your truth is, is basically based on your own experience and your own opinions. That's what postmodernism is about. And this philosophy has actually influenced almost everything. It's certainly influenced art. It's influenced the media. It influences music. It's influenced the way people do business. It's influenced our communities. It's influenced, it actually has, has huge influence in our institutions like government and education and even higher learning. Almost everything around us is influenced by postmodern thought. And even the church today, even many in the church today are influenced heavily by these, by these postmodern ideas of the truth being relevant 
relative to, to who we are. And, and, and you take that fact along with the fact you know, that we believe, there are lies that we believe, and you add to it a me-centered culture that's focused on individualism and self-fulfillment, and then you throw in a population and that is biblically illiterate because the, the truth is most people have never read the Bible and don't know exactly what's in the Bible, including the majority of Christians. And you take all those things and you mix in the, 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 a church that, that is in our country that's theologically weak and is focused on numerical growth, you know, getting people into seats rather than, than deep spiritual growth, which is spiritual maturity. And you put all that together and what you end up with is a perfect storm. Okay? It's a perfect storm for the decline of, of Christianity in our Western culture. And it's a storm that we can actually see right now. Because all these things, all of these things have actually come to a crisis point. They've come to a crisis point in our culture and they've come to a crisis point in our church at large. And, and let me just tell you. And this perfect storm is something that preachers don't just talk about just to get people coming back to church. It's not a scare tactic to, you know, or a guilt trip to, make, to get people to, to, to be interested in Christianity. This is something that's actually happening, and it can be tracked. It's proven to be happening by the psychological and the sociological research that's been done over the last two decades. And the results are actually very staggering. The fact is, Orthodox Christianity is now firmly and visibly in the minority in America. Orthodox Christian faith, the classic Christian faith that was established by the teachings of the apostles and, 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 and the historical foundational doctrines of the early church, that faith is now in the minority in our country among those who claim to follow Jesus. That is the plain truth. Orthodox, life-saving Christianity is in decline in our culture because the fact is this, a growing number of people who claim to be Christians have uncritically bought into several lies. A growing number of people who claim to follow Christ now have beliefs and doctrines that are not rooted in the orthodox truths of the Christian faith and not rooted in the truths of the Bible, but instead they're rooted in other things like postmodernism and meism and other philosophical ideas. And, and let me just tell you, I'm not just talking about secondary, peripheral, non-essential issues. We're not talking about, you know, arguments over the end times. We're not talking about disagreements about how we should take the Lord's Supper, right? We're not talking about which Bible translation is the best one to read. We're, we're, we're talking about foundational salvation issues. I'm talking about the fact that there are a number of common foundational beliefs that have sprung up that many people believe to be true, and they believe to be orthodox Christian beliefs that are simply false. And, and, and they are in fact the lies that really the majority of people believe. And these lies are the truths that are, that are playing a huge part in the decline of our Christian faith in culture today. And, and so today with that, we're kicking off a brand new series titled The Lies That We Believe and, and How to Overcome Them. You see, the Apostle John wrote, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, the purpose of this series is for us to come together as a church and to closely examine these common beliefs and shine the light of Scripture on them to see what is true and what isn't because the absolute measure of what is true is in fact the word of God. 
Okay? The word of God is our rock-solid gold standard of truth. And for those who wish to follow Christ and walk with God, the truth is a paramount, important issue. Because as we say over and over again, it is not what you do that saves you. It is not what you do that saves you. It is what you believe. And if you believe foundationally, if what you believe is a lie foundationally, then you, my friends, don't know God. If what you believe foundationally about God is a lie, then you don't know God. So this is an important issue. And so for the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to help you to grow in your spiritual maturity as we look closely at a number of beliefs that have popped up in the Christian faith uh, and, and in the church over the last several decades. And we're going to examine them in the light of Scripture. And, and the first thing that we're going to look at today is a popular belief system that is called the dominant civil religion in America. It is absolutely, by all scientific and sociological studies, it is actually the most common belief system in America today. In fact, this belief system has taken root in every Christian denomination. Every Christian denomination in the United States, without exception. It's the most common belief system there is. In fact, uh, I'm talking about Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Assembly of God and Catholics and Methodists and Calvary Chapel and so-called non-denominationals. You name it. This belief system has taken root in every Christian denomination in America, and it's upending the orthodox doctrines of faith that we find, um, that we find in the historical church, and most people don't see it happening. In fact, this belief is so subtle And it's so insidious and so pervasive, it is being called by modern theologians the Christian parasite. Because what it's done is it's a belief system that's attached itself to the Christian message. And and its influence is not limited to just Orthodox Christianity. It's also influencing heretical groups like the LDS Church and and the Jehovah's Witnesses. It It is taking root even among modern Judaism today as well. Okay, and so it's all, by all accounts, the dominant belief system in North America. And people don't even know that it exists. In fact, the most people are not aware that, that, that the church has actually been teaching this belief system for decades, right? In fact, it wasn't even discovered until 2005. You see, sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Denton uh, from North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, they and their colleagues performed a groundbreaking study between the, the years of 2003 and 2005 called the National Study of Youth and Religion. It's the largest study of its kind ever. It was a massive study, and it was done on the adolescent spirituality in the United States. And, and thousands of adolescents were interviewed and participated in this study. And, and the research uncovered this subtle but dominant belief system that has become so pervasive in the American church. And, it, and the unsettling part is that the vast majority of adolescents and young adults have grown to accept this belief system to be true. And what's worse is that this belief system is actually the result of teaching from inside the church. These adolescents and these young uh, adults learn these beliefs not from the outside, but from inside the church, they learned them from the older generation. That's us. And that is the generation before us, which means the problem is actually bigger than we might have imagined. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, okay, you know, what are you talking about here? I mean, where are you going with this? Well, what I'm talking about is a belief system that you might not have ever heard of, but you have, you're definitely familiar with. I mean, you might not have heard the name, but you will recognize the beliefs when you 
when you hear them. And what I'm talking about is called moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay, that's the name of the most common belief system in America today. Whether you realize it or not, it is called moralistic therapeutic deism. Now you might be thinking, man, that's a mouthful. And it is. It took me a long time to be able to say that without stumbling over it, all right? But it's exactly what, what people believe in North America, uh, you know, more than anything else, whether they know it or not. You see, this belief system is named this way because it is, in fact, moralistic, right? It's about having a certain set of morals and values. And it's also a therapeutic belief system because it's about self-fulfillment and self-improvement and becoming a better you. And it's deistic because it has a distant view of God, that God created everything and it kind of steps back and kind of waits for us to engage him, all right? In fact, let's look at the five core beliefs of moralistic therapeutic deism. And, and, and let me see if you, if you recognize them. Number one, the first belief is a God exists who created and orders the world and watches over life on earth, which is a pretty good start. I mean, we, we all believe that, right? We all believe that God created everything, right? But, 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 but the second belief is God wants people to be good, nice, fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. It's this idea that we're supposed to be nice. That's the moralistic part of this. Then the, the, number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. This is the therapeutic part, okay? And then God is not involved in my life except when I need him to resolve a problem. That's the deistic part of, of, this, of this belief system. God is not really active in my life until I need him. I don't really, you know, I don't really engage him. I just, I just pray to him when, when I need answers to my prayers. Like he's like my cosmic butler. That's kind of like the, the, um, the underlying uh, belief system. And then number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Okay. This right here is a summary of the most widespread belief system in North America and the data bear it out. This, the majority of people who claim to be Christians today believe these things. Now, you might say, well, these, these things uh, may not say that these things, um, chances are you probably know people who believe these things. I mean, this is what, what, what Christianity, they might even say that this is what Christianity is all about and that they, they, they live this way. I mean, the fact is you might even, even be someone who says, well, that's not so bad. What's wrong with that? I, I, mean, I mean, you know, what's wrong with those beliefs? I mean, we all believe that God created everything, right? And what's wrong with God wanting us to be good and nice to other people? I mean, isn't that true? Doesn't God want us to be good and nice and fair to other people? And isn't the central goal in life, isn't it to be happy, isn't it, isn't what we are all working for? Isn't that what we are all striving for? Isn't that what God promised? I mean, if we're good to other people and, and, and we live good lives, doesn't God want to bless us, you know, and, and so we can have a good life? Isn't God, you know, isn't that what he wants for us? Didn't Jesus say he came to give us an abundant life? I mean, isn't God here to help me solve my problems and help me carry my burdens? And, and, and aren't I supposed to pray to him when, when in times of, of trouble? Well, um, don't you have to be a good person to get into heaven? I mean, isn't that true? I mean, I mean, this might be a little bit too inclusive for some people, but, but is, don't you have to be a good person to get in heaven? I mean, these are things that, that you might believe. And, and I'll admit on the surface, all this sounds pretty good, especially in our cultural context, especially in a world for, for, that, that's pushing for inclusivism and tolerance and individualism, in a culture that wants us to be nice to people for nice sake, in a culture that wants us not to hurt anybody's feelings or never to say anything to offend anyone. This sounds just about right. right? If you start with what culture values and what our culture sees as a truth, this belief system actually makes sense. But let me be very, very, very candid here. 
This belief system is actually a diversion. Okay? This belief system is the result of a loss of biblical focus. This belief system is actually takes our attention away from where the truth actually is supposed to be. Because if you read the Bible and you understand the Bible, this right here, this is not the gospel. This right here is not the gospel. Okay. Now there are seeds of truth to some of this here, but this is not the gospel. This is this right here cannot save you. This belief system will not save you. Okay. But the dangerous thing is this, this is what the Christian faith has been reduced to down for the majority of young Americans. Okay. They believe that this is the gospel. They believe that if you live this way, then you are saved. They believe this is what, what Christianity is all about. And you might think that, that this is far-fetched, but, but when you hear the, what, what do you hear from the wider world? What do you hear coming from pulpits from around our country? You hear various versions of this particular belief system. You hear various voices who espouse these very principles just in different ways. You hear it all the time when some celebrity pastor gets interviewed on TV and the subject of sin comes up. And the pastor might say, well, you know, uh, it's really not my place to judge, okay? My job as a Christian is to be kind and to be fair to others. That's moralistic. And then try to help them to be happy. That's the therapeutic part. Okay. You see, I, I don't want to ter- tear people down. I want to I help people to find the happiness within themselves. And I want them to find that happiness that, that, that draws them into the light of Christ. Right? That's the deism part of it. Like, like Christ is standing on the sideline waiting for us to do something. Okay? That's what you hear. Okay? You don't hear about sin. You don't hear about conviction. We don't hear about repentance and brokenness and hell and mercy and grace. You hear God has a special plan for your life. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. God wants you to be your true, authentic self, and he wants you to express that regardless of what the Bible says about your lifestyle. God wants you to be fulfilled and happy. That's what we hear so often. In fact, I want to share with you a quote from a very famous pastor's wife. I mean, her husband is the pastor of one of the largest churches in North America. And she, in front of the entire congregation, said on a Sunday morning, she says, I want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we are happy. That's what gives him the greatest joy. She continues and says, So I want you to know this morning, just do good for yourself. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen. And the whole crowd goes, Amen. That right there is moralistic therapeutic deism. The whole point of your relationship with God is to become a better person and to be nice to other people and to become self-fulfilled. That's what God wants. That's what makes God happy is when you're happy. And the majority of the church has come to believe on some level that this is the truth, that this is what the gospel is about, that, that our relationship with God is about being good and about being nice and about, and about personal growth and, and growing to, to know and, and express that true authentic self of ourselves. But let me just tell you, this is, this is a lie. This is not the gospel. The gospel is not about your self-fulfillment. The gospel is not about you being nice to people. The gospel is not about you being a good person. 
The gospel is about the fact that we are broken sinners destined for hell without any way to make ourselves right before God. The gospel is about being hopeless. But, when, but, but then God, for some reason, for his own glory, God in his love for us decided to have mercy on us by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. And if we will believe in him and put our trust and our hope firmly in Christ, then we're given by grace the gift of eternal life. That is the gospel. It has nothing to do with being nice. It has nothing to do with being a good person. It has nothing to do with personal happiness or self-fulfillment. And I'm not saying that these things are bad, right? I'm saying the gospel has nothing to do with these things. Okay? But the gospel has everything to do with the fact that we are broken, wretched sinners and God decided to show grace and mercy to us regardless of how great or how bad this life is on earth. That's the gospel. The greatest problem that you and I will ever face in all of eternity has been solved when you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And guess what? The Bible says in this life, you're still going to have trouble. Right? You still will suffer. And you may never achieve all your goals and your dreams, but guess what else? It's not about being nice to people too. Okay. It's, it's about loving them for sure. It is absolutely about loving them. Okay. But it's not about being nice. It's about telling people the truth found in God's word, even if it hurts to tell them. You see, moralistic therapeutic deism fails because it shifts our focus. It shifts our focus away from where it's supposed to be. It shifts the focus of our heart onto something else. And you and I are more influenced by this than you might even imagine. In fact, let me just ask you a question, all right? It's this really simple question, and you don't have to answer out loud. Just answer to yourself, okay? To the best of your ability, okay? It's a simple question that needs a simple answer. And the question is this. Why did Jesus come to earth and die on the cross? Why did Jesus, fully God, come to earth and become fully man, the God-man, live a perfect life, die on the cross? Now, I believe most of you, like me, would answer this question is to save us from our sins. Or something like that. Like, he died on the cross to give us eternal life. He died on the cross to save us from hell. That's the majority of how we would answer this question. That's the way that we would answer the question. But that is actually not the answer. The answer is actually something else. Now, before you kind of get upset with me, I want you to reread with me the words of Paul again in Romans 11, beginning in chapter, uh, beginning verse 32. Paul says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For, and this is where we need to pay attention here, okay? For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's read that last verse again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see, God did not send Jesus to save you from your sins. 
He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that God would be glorified when you were saved from your sins. You see, the goal was not our salvation. Salvation is not the end. Salvation is the means to the end. The end, the goal, is the glorification of God. God would be glorified through our salvation. It is about God and his glory and not about us. You see, the gospel isn't primarily about you or me. It's primarily about God and his glory. See, we, we live in a culture that says it's all about you, right? Do what you feel like. Trust your heart. Do what, what, what you think is best. Do what you want to do. Your life is about you, but ultimately, it's not about you. It's about God, and it's about his glory. So that's why Paul says, from him and through him and to him are what? All things, Not just some things, not just spiritual things, not just religious things, but all things. All things are from, to, and for him. They are all for God's glory. To him be the glory forever. Can can you see the difference? A slight change in perspective. The difference that it makes in how we see our faith. See, once we make the gospel about us instead of God and his glory... Okay. It's easy for us to slip and end up with moralistic therapeutic de- deism. When we make our faith about us, it's easy to lose the anchor points of our whole belief system. It's easy for us to shift our thinking away from God and toward ourselves. That's how we got here. Because moralistic therapeutic deism is what, what the church has been teaching. It's what it's been teaching kids for, for decades now. What do, we, what do we teach our kids? We say, Be nice, be a good person, be kind, pursue your dreams, live your life, do what you want to do, be your own unique special self. That's what we're teaching. And and these are not bad things in and of themselves. But the problem is, is we're not teaching them to glorify God in all that they do. We're not teaching them to glorify God at school or at work or with their family. We're not teaching them that the purpose of their life is to bring glory to God. Instead, we're saying the purpose of your life is for you to find your personal unique happiness and go achieve your goals. Okay? We're not teaching them to glorify God by obeying him. What we're saying is obey God so your life will be better. We've shifted the focus from God to ourselves. Now, like I said, we've been teaching, right? And what we've been teaching isn't like bad in and of itself, I mean, I believe that God wants us to be good people, okay? I want God, I believe that God wants us to be fair. There's no doubt about that. I believe that God wants for us to experience joy and happiness. He certainly talks about it enough in his word. I believe that God wants us to work hard and pursue our goals and dreams, especially if they're in alignment with his will. But the problem is the gravitational pull of culture and your own life is away from God and his glory and toward self. The gravitational pull of our heart is always away from God and towards ourselves. That's how we end up making the gospel about us instead of God's glory. That's how we end up with our life's purpose being about us instead of his will. And ultimately, that's how we end up with moralistic, therapeutic deism. We end up taking something good And over time, it evolves into something heretical. Moralistic therapeutic deism is the result in that shift of focus away from God and toward ourselves. And guess what? This belief system is not the gospel. 
And it will not save you. Regardless of how good you are to other people, regardless of how fulfilled your life may be, regardless of whether you're a good person or not, this kind of belief system cannot save you. <clears throat> so what should we do then? I mean, I mean, how do we keep this from happening? How do we, we, we not allow our hearts to shift from being centered, you know, on ourselves instead of God? How do, how do we keep the Christian faith from becoming prey to this parasitic belief system? I mean, what do we need to do? How do we correct this? Well, what we need to do is we actually need to learn a very important lesson and take it to heart. And the lesson is simply this. Theology matters. Theology matters. You see how we got here and how we allowed the lies of, uh, of moralistic therapeutic deism to seep into our culture and into our church. And remember, we're talking about all denominations. We're not talking about just a small segment, okay? We're talking about all denominations. The way that we got here is somewhere in American church culture, we stopped teaching robust, foundational, rock-solid theology, we stopped teaching a deep foundational theology. We stopped laying the foundation of a rock-solid theology based on the Word of God. Right? In fact, it's been said by many people that the American church now is a mile wide but only an inch deep. Okay? There are no deep roots or anchor points to hold our belief system into a fixed position. That's why so many young people leave in the church because, they, because those, those shallow roots are being plucked right out. The church in America has become about gimmicks and entertainment and consumerism and scratching our itching ears. It's about my personal taste and my likes and dislikes. Okay? Somewhere the church in American culture, they became about trying to attract more numbers instead of actually helping people to grow in Christ to full maturity so they can go out and do the same thing. We as a culture ended up here because we stopped teaching a robust, foundational Christian theology. Theology matters. It's the antidote to all the poisonous lies that we believe. Theology matters. Now, there's some around you who are going to say, they're going to push back on this immediately and say, you know what? You know, um, theology doesn't matter. You're just, you know, actually theology is what, what divides people. It's theology that's divided churches, right? All that matters is that you love Jesus. Theology doesn't matter. Well, let me just tell you something. I'm going to be very frank with you about this. You don't even know what it means to love Jesus unless you have a clear understanding about the theology of who Jesus is in the first place. You can't love somebody you don't know. You can't have a love for somebody you don't know. And you can't, have a, you can't know Jesus without a clear theology of who he is. Theology matters whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you want to, to identify with this or not. <clears throat> what you believe about God matters. And it's a foundational to how we understand and interact with the rest of the world. And it's foundational to how we believe <clears throat> what we believe and, and, and what we know to be true and it's foundational in how we actually identify these lies that we're talking about in this series. Theology matters. Now, you might be thinking, <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> all right, Sherman, theology matters, but what's theology, right? I mean, we throw these big words around, but what does that mean? Well, theology is literally the study of God, all right? Theo, God, logo, the study of, 
Okay, it's like biology. Biology is the study of life. Theology is the study of God. And so in, in, in our study of God, there are some foundational truths that we need to learn and, and, and that, that become the rock-solid points that we anchor our entire faith structure to. And, and right from the beginning, in this, this message today, we're going to talk about two theological anchor points that we're going to wrap up with that we need to learn in order for us to keep our hearts and minds centered on God. And the first one of these theological truths is this. The Bible is, in fact, God's word. It is the very word of God. It is infallible, inerrant, and authoritative for our lives, which means we must lean and believe what the Bible teaches. Now, what that means for us is that we must submit our lives to the truth of the Bible and and what we believe and, and how we feel in our emotions. Those things cannot rise above what the word of God actually says, which means there are going to be times your feelings are going to be irrelevant, okay? You see, it doesn't matter if you like a verse. It doesn't matter if a certain doctrine rubs you the wrong way. The Bible is authoritative and your feelings aren't, all right? We need to submit our feelings to the Bible, not the Bible to our feelings. The Bible is God's word and it is the truth about God and it's the truth about who we are and how we're to live in the light of that truth. Now, the second theological anchor point that we must come to terms with is that God is absolutely sovereign. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is completely and totally sovereign over everyone and everything, okay? And the implication of that truth is that everything belongs to God. And so everything then is about God. All of creation is about God. Your life is about God. What you do at work and at school is supposed to be about God. The Bible is about God. The gospel is about God. All of life is about God and his glory, God is a central figure of all things. Remember Romans 11, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. God is completely sovereign in all of his creation. And all of life is supposed to be about him. So number one, the Bible is God's inerrant authoritative word. Number two, God is sovereign and life is all about him. Now you know what's interesting? There's two things that postmodern thought Uh, in our culture teaches us. It tells us the Bible isn't necessarily inerrant or authoritative because there's no objective standard for truth. The second thing it teaches us is that life, because the truth is relative, life is about you. Our culture and our world around us and many people in the church have been critically, uncritically, and unwittingly bought into that. And because of that, there are many who have embraced this counterfeit gospel of moralistic therapeutic deism. That's why we must, as a church, teach and reteach and reteach and reteach a robust foundational theology about God. And that's why, as a follower of Christ, you need to embrace the truth that theology matters and make it your mission to learn and to own for yourself this robust foundational theology that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And, and, and that way you'll be able to see the lies for what they are and you will be able to then help other people 
to overcome them. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's just so much easier to talk about families and relationships. It's so much easier to talk about worshiping at work. It's so much easier to talk about, you know, um, you know, prayer. But um, sometimes it's difficult to, to, to reconcile or come to terms with the fact that, that our theology matters, that we need to spend time actually diving into the Word of God and, and developing for ourselves a clear understanding of who you are, that we have an understanding of who you are and who we are in that relationship, and then that we understand the nature of grace and then the nature of, 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 of your mercy and the nature of salvation itself, so that when we engage the world, as the world comes to us with all these ideas, that we're not pulled away from our moorings to begin to, to develop a brand new the, uh, heresy of our own, Lord. Father, this, this, this idea that, that, that the majority of people have bought into this moralistic therapeutic deism really just punches me in the stomach. It wasn't something I was really prepared to understand. But Father, I just thank you, Lord, that there are people out there that are doing the work to help us find out that that's the truth. And so we, as a church, can get to work and do what we need to do, which is to share the actual gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ with the rest of the world. And Father, so I pray that you'd raise up a people in this church who are passionate about that, who have a desire for that, who have a desire to know you and know you on the deepest level to know that you are completely sovereign and that you have a righteous decree, Lord, and that, that you, Lord, are in control of all things and that, that all things you know, are for your glory. And the greatest thing that we could ever aspire is to desire you above everything else. That, that, that you are most glorified when we are most pleased in you, Lord. And that would be the prayer of my heart that we had all come to that place, Lord, that we desire you above all other things. Yes, Lord, help us to, to fulfill our ambitions, Lord, if they're in alignment with your will. Father, yes, help us to be good to other people, without a doubt, Father. Help us to, to certainly want to work, to be whole, you know, in our hearts, in the light of the gospel, absolutely. But with that, Lord, may we be ever dependent on you every single day, every moment, and that all that we do will be done for your glory. We thank you for that. And Father, I pray your protection over all the hearts that are here today. Meet them where they need. Um, and Father, I pray for those who are not here and that you would, you would protect them and bring them here soon. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.